Galatians chapter 2 today. So I know last week was uh, a lot of uh, history. It was a lot of looking back at the uh, Acts uh, 9 account. And uh, it was good to know um, where the gospel came from and uh, where Paul's path and, and really the path that God had placed him on and uh, where that led. Now, today we're going to be uh, talking about gospel unity, and I believe that's because what this is what we see in, in chapter 2. And so while uh, Paul uh, goes to uh, Jerusalem a second time, and uh, 14 years after um, he, he meets the Lord on, on the road to Damascus, and uh, after uh, 14 years he goes, and he actually has an actual meeting, uh, with the apostles, well, at, at least uh, James is there, and Peter is there, and uh, John is there, and we're talking about James, the brother of Jesus, uh, not James, one of the disciples, um, but uh, James, the brother of Jesus, and then John, the beloved disciple, and then Peter, the rock, uh, were all part of that. And so that's actually we're going to be looking at today, uh, the idea of the fact that the gospel creates unity. And so to get started today, we do want to read just a couple of verses, and so I'll have you stand out of respect for God's Word. This is Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and it says this, Then after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus with, uh, uh, along with me, and I went up because of the revelation, and set before them, though privately before those who seemed um, influential, the gospel that I proclaimed amongst the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. All right, let's stop there. Last Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for another opportunity to gather together as, as your children, as uh, your church, as, as your body. And Lord, what brings us together today is the gospel. The fact that Jesus Christ did, in fact, come to earth. He came from heaven. He was born in a manger. He grew up just like every human being grows up, and yet he was perfect without sin. But, Lord, he didn't just come here on vacation. He truly came to die in our place, lived under the law without breaking the law, died in our place and took upon himself our punishment. Lord, thank you that he was buried, but he didn't stay buried, that he rose again so that we too would have a resurrection, a new, a new life on this earth, a new spiritual life, but also the hope of the resurrection to come. So Lord, today as, as we have sung songs, as we've thought about um, the family of God, we are reminded what brings us together is Christ. What brings us together is the gospel, is the message of reconciliation. And so, Lord, as we open up this passage today, Lord, again, I pray that you would clear my mind of my own thoughts and allow me to speak through your uh, spirit and your power today. I pray that you would use your word as you see fit in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. As we get started today, I, I just want to say that uh, Paul, 
as he goes kind of down this, this time of history, Paul is not doing this because he sidetracks, all right? So sometimes I know as, as uh, pastors, as, as teachers, uh, sometimes we get telling a story, and then we get to the end of the story, and, and it's like, now why, was, why, why did we tell that story, or how did we get there? Paul is not like that. So he is not writing in the letter, and then he just kind of gets off on a story, and he begins to jot some things down, and then he gets back on topic. Instead, everything that we're going to look at today is important to the whole picture of Galatians. Because Paul begins to shift from, from the doctrinal stand of, of what the gospel is to how that gospel should change our life. He gets more into the application of the gospel. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today, really the application of the gospel, the fact that the gospel creates unity. And so he doesn't go down just simply memory lane. Instead, he has a very important purpose in mind. He, has, he wants to convey the truth about the gospel, and this is the truth that he wants to convey. The gospel creates unity within the body of believers. And so notice, first of all, and there in verse 1, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus uh, along with me. Now, I should say that there is some debate about when this takes place. Let me tell you, there is some de debate between when he first went. If you remember back in chapter 1, he said, after three years, I went to Jerusalem. And then here he says, then 14 years, I went back to Jerusalem. And so some people, what they do is they take uh, the Acts 9 uh, account when, when uh, Paul is confronted on the road to Damascus. And they say, okay, three years after that is his first visit to Jerusalem. Then 14 years after that is his second visit to Jerusalem. But I don't really see that that's what's happening here. Instead, this is the other side that people often look at. And so they say, and that's why I bring up the fact that this is a debate, is that other people, they look at it as this way. He was saved there in Acts chapter 9. Then after three years, he went to Jerusalem. Then 14 years from his new birth in Christ, he goes back to Jerusalem. You say, well, what's the big deal? What is another three years? And actually, another three years is important to the whole argument because it places us in a different place in the Acts account. And that was one of the reasons why we went back to the Acts account last week. I know it almost seemed kind of like dry because we were just looking at this and that. And it was just lots of information. Maybe it was like almost information overload. But it's important for the whole conversation because we need to understand that what we see in Acts, Paul is talking about in Galatians. And so what Paul is talking about, we can go to a portion in Acts and say, this is what Paul is talking about. So now what is the difference? Well, if we believe that uh, it is 17 years, that's the three years, and then the 14 years after salvation, that puts us into Acts chapter 15. What happens in Acts chapter 15? 
Well, that's actually a, a, a big time in the church. That's when the leadership gets together and they talk about whether or not the law and the requirements of circumcision are important. In Acts chapter 15, everybody gets together, and it's like everybody. It's the Jerusalem council, and they make a decision during that time, and they say, no, that, that circumcision is not part of Christianity. And so they, they debunk that idea. Now, why do I not think that we are in chapter, Acts chapter 15? Because it, I think that Paul would have made that argument where we are today. Instead, what we're going to see is that Paul meets with a group, and they don't tell him to circumcise Timoth uh, Titus, rather, and Titus is, is a Gentile. He's a Greek Gentile. And they don't tell him to. Instead, it's kind of like an, uh, something that doesn't come up. Instead, they say this, and we're going to see this in verse 10, that there's one thing that they told us. And that was to not forget the poor. Now, in the Acts chapter 15 account, we see that there's actually three things that are told to them. It's, it, it's actually told to them to, um, uh, to not eat meat that's been strangled, to keep themselves from sexual impurity. And there's a third thing. I can't remember what the third thing is this morning. But there's three different things that they talk about. And so I don't believe that what we see here in chapter 2 is connected to chapter 15 because Paul would have made that argument. It was a very strong argument for him to make. Instead, this is a time where he goes to Jerusalem at a different time, back in Acts chapter 11. And so we're going to look at it uh, today a little bit later on. I just want to give you the be behind the scenes, the fact that a good guy's debate on this, I think probably what is more believed these days because of the missing account of the Jerusalem Council, is that the 14 years is salvation and then 14 years from salvation rather than three years and then another 14 years because of some very important missing information. That's also how we know that this letter was written early on in Paul's ministry. Now, I say early on, we say that he's already been in ministry for at least 14 years because he brings it up in the letter here. But uh, the, the early on from when he went and visited the southern part of Galatia. So I just wanted to give you all that information straight off just in case you've heard something else in the past. And if you go back and, and actually we're going to read it today and we're going to cover um, half of chapter 2, at least verses 1 through 10, and you're going to see that argument from the Jerusalem Council is not here. And I think that Paul would have made that argument because it was such a strong argument uh, to be made. But first of all, let's see what's going on here. All right, so talking about the unity within the gospel. So after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. All right, so the very first person that uh, Paul uh, brings up, I guess the first person is uh, himself. And so I uh, went up again to Jerusalem. All right, so we have uh, the first person that Paul brings up himself. Now, who's Paul? Well, Paul is um, uh, someone that, that was uh, rising up in, in, in uh, Judaism. He was persecuting the church. He has a completely different background than um, Barnabas. But Barnabas is really kind of like a, a man that came alongside Peter, and uh, he encouraged Peter. Matter of fact, his name means son of encouragement. 
Uh, he was the man, if you remember, back in that first account, when we went back to Acts, and he goes into Jerusalem, that everyone's afraid of Paul. And they're like, we heard about Paul, or the, they called him Saul at that time. We heard about this man Saul. We don't want anything to do with him. He had letters to arrest us and throw us into prison. And it was uh, Barnabas that actually went before the apostles and said, guys, he, had, he was confronted with the gospel. Christ stood before him. I've seen the power. I've seen him preach. He's a different man. And it was through Barnabas's ministry that really Paul was accepted and, and welcomed in that first Jerusalem account. And so we see guys from two different backgrounds, one that persecuted the church, but another Jew that, that also was, was very faithful to the gospel and was really kind of a mentor to Paul. Matter of fact, it was through the ministry of, of Barnabas that, that he encouraged Paul to come with him to Antioch. And so we're not going to look at that, but if you read through the Acts account, it was, it was through Barnabas. He said, hey, come and join me in the ministry. And Barnabas began to, to encourage Paul. And then we see there's another man with them. So we have Paul, we have Barnabas, and then taking with us Titus. Now, who was Titus? Titus was a Greek Gentile. But he was also a faithful man in the ministry. And so Paul brought these three individuals, three guys from three different backgrounds, all right? Paul was one that persecuted the church. Barnabas was a, a faithful man who believed the gospel and really welcomed Paul into fellowship. And then we have a Gentile here, and, and there's, there's a, several reasons why Titus is brought. One of the reasons is because Paul is pointing out that there is fellowship that is not Jews and Gentiles, but instead we're actually working together in the ministry. And these three guys did work together in the ministry. Paul trusted Titus. Matter of fact, Paul sent Titus on some, some challenging situations at churches. And why did he do that? Because though, Paul, uh, though Titus was a Gentile, Paul trusted Titus. And so Paul partnered with Titus. So these three men, Paul, Barnabas, and Titus, they all go down uh, to Jerusalem. And so why? Well, we're, we find out in, in verse 2, I went up because of a revelation. Now, this is something a little different than what we learned last week. And so remember, why did he go three years after he started, uh, after, after salvation, after he got into to ministry? Why did he go to Jerusalem? Well, remember, he was really like persecuted in Damascus. They, they were going to, they, they were guarding the exits. They were looking for Paul. If they found him, they were going to execute him. And so remember, Paul was, was saved. He was rescued. They lowered him down out of a basket and uh, he, he survived. He escaped. And after that, he went to Jerusalem. Now, we don't see, and, and uh, feel free to look down in your Bible, we don't see in chapter 1 that Paul is led by the Spirit to Jerusalem. And maybe that's one of the reasons why Paul has some conflict in Jerusalem and why he lives so, leaves so quickly. But at this time, 14 years later, we see that the Lord is leading him to Jerusalem. And I point that out because if the Lord is leading Paul to Jerusalem, there must be something important that's going to happen. That this is not just a casual visit by, by Paul and he's going to shake some hands and kiss some babies and then, and then go on with life. 
No, no, no. This is a very important time. This is a God-given time in Paul's life. And so I believe there are some things for us to learn this morning as we think about this account. It's, an, it's important that, that uh, we remember as we, as we think about um, what is happening here that, that the Lord is about to teach Paul, is going to teach the church, is going to teach us something. And in our fallen condition, sometimes we get our eyes off of the gospel and onto our differences as Christians. Sometimes we get our eyes off of really what brings us together, and instead we look at all the differences. Matter of fact, I remember there was a, a, a relationship uh, that I had when I was in college, and, and there was a friend, and uh, we, 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 we had a friendship even though I went to this college and, and uh, she went to this college. We, we kept in contact, and we would talk every now and then. And then, and I don't remember how the conversation got started, but though we were both Christians and, and though we were both raised under the same good pastor, we had a difference. And the difference wasn't even really found in the Bible. And that's what I tried to communicate to the person. And, and so as I, as I talked with them, I, I showed them uh, my position from the word of God. And then, then I asked them about their position and how they stood from the word of God. And they were not able to answer. And so we ended up leaving that first conversation with uh, really a lot of doubts in her mind. And, and so she went to uh, one of the staff members at their college and, and got some counsel. And she talked to me a little bit. And I, I brought up some more things. And then she went back to that staff member. And the second time that staff member said this, well, it sounds like this friend is, is causing a lot of distractions in your life. Maybe you should just kind of not have communication for a little while. Now, the reason for that is because the basis of that separation was not based on Bible truth or Bible doctrine. It was based on opinion. And so that that person could no longer support their opinion and so they thought the best thing for us to do is just not talk anymore because our opinions are different. Now, I tell you that story because that still happens today amongst Christians. Sometimes within churches, sometimes within Christianity, we get so focused on opinions that we begin to separate because of opinions and not because of Bible doctrine. And really, as we're going to see today, Paul's argument is this. The gospel ought to bring us together as Christians, not separate us as Christians. And that's one of the reasons why Paul is led to go to Jerusalem. That is one of the reasons why he brings an uncircumcised Gentile with him to this this meeting because he wants to show them that the gospel should not be separating us between Jews and Gentiles and you have to do something to become a Jew instead really he's trying to communicate we're going to see that Paul says the gospel should be uniting us as one people under God as one family under God because truly what is taught from the word of God is 
is that we have been adopted into God's family through the gospel. And so the gospel brings unity. So God didn't just send Paul to be accepted by the apostles, though we're going to see that. I believe really Paul is being sent to Jerusalem to remind all of the apostles that the gospel should create unity in the body of believers. And so we're going to see that this morning. The very first thing that we're going to see, first way that the gospel brings unity within the church is that the gospel brings unity in grace. And so notice verse 2. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, and then he has a thought here. Though privately before those who seemed influential, and so that would be Peter, James, and John. And then he continues his, uh, his thought here. Brought before them the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, I should tell you that here, this idea of run, not running or not run in vain, uh, there are some Bible teachers that they look at this and they say, you know what, Paul began to doubt whether or not he was really preaching the gospel. I don't think that's the case. I think Paul knew what the gospel was. Remember, he was confronted on the road to Damascus. He knew that Jesus Christ did, in fact, rise from the dead. He saw him. All right. I don't think Paul is, is, is concerned that he might be off on the gospel. Instead, this is what I believe is Paul's question here. What he wants to do is he wants to talk to the leaders and he wants to say, this is the gospel that I've been preaching. And it, is being, it, 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 is, it has come across that there is some discontent or some breaking of unity because of this message. And I want to partner with you guys. You guys are the apostles to the circumcised, and I am the apostle to the uncircumcised. And I want to get together, and I want to see what we can do to create unity within the body of believers. I want to make sure that I'm not causing error in the church or conflict in the church in an unnecessary way. And so Paul brings these groups together. And, and he first, he, he explains the gospel and what he's been preaching. And his whole idea is to create unity within the body of believers. And so that unity in grace. He says those who seemed influential, those are uh, Jews that, that uh, were leaders in the church. And he wanted them to know that the Gentiles also have uh, been accepted. And so remember, he brings Titus, a Gentile, a man who was touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ, a man who served alongside Peter and Barnabas, a man Paul trusted in the ministry. And so Paul brings this example between these, uh, before these apostles. And then notice what Paul says here in verse 3. But then Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though uh, he was a Greek. Now, in that previous verse, we, we know that Paul, as he met with them, he told them what the gospel was that he was preaching to the Gentiles. And so uh, they would have known that Paul did not force anybody uh, to be circumcised or, or to take upon the sign of, of circumcision. And, and so uh, Paul, in bringing Titus, says, hey, look it, we have unity in the gospel. And, and it's not necessary. And and these guys, these, these leaders, these pillars of the church, Paul calls them, Peter, James, and John, 
they too, they see it and, and they don't force and they, and they don't make him and we don't even see that they really request it. Instead, they receive Titus into fellowship. And so there is a, 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 a recognizing of unity within the church. And so Paul, James, and John preach the same thing, that there is one gospel for all nations, not a gospel for the Gentiles and a gospel for the Jews. Instead, one gospel for all. Matter of fact, this is what Peter says. This is found in Acts chapter 10. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. All right, keep that in your mind. That's going to come up a little bit later as, as Paul is talking here. But truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation among uh, anyone who fears him and does what is right is accepted, acceptable to him. And so notice in every nation, not just the Jewish nation, but that is in all nations. Everyone who fears him and does what is right is accept, acceptable uh, to him. And so Peter preached and James preached and Paul preached this gospel that was for really for everybody. And it wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for the Gentiles. It was for everyone. And why? Well, when we think about the, the fact that the gospel creates unity and we think about grace, really the gospel brings us to the same place. Whether we're Jews, whether we're Gentiles, it doesn't matter our age. It doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter our, 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 our genre, our gender. It doesn't matter. It brings us all to the same place. It's the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And so the gospel brings us all to the foot of the cross. And so we are unified today, no matter our background, no matter our age, because we as Christians have all come to the foot of the cross. We have all accepted that gift that was given to us in Jesus Christ. And so the very first thing as we think about the gospel, the gospel creates unity and grace. It brings us all to the same place. It brings us all to the foot of the cross. But it does a second thing, and Paul brings this up, that it brings unity in ministry, unity in ministry. Notice there in verse 7. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel of the circumcised, and so the very first thing that Paul is, is pointing out here is there's two different ministries happening, all right? So there's, there's two different ministries. Uh, one, the gospel to the uncircumcised, and the other is the gospel to the circumcised. We might say, like, this is two mission fields. So, so God had moved Peter to be the apostle uh, to the Jews, and, and God had moved Paul to be the apostle of, of the Gentiles. But the same thing that is true in both of those statements is this. It was all the ministry of the gospel, all right? It may have been to this group, or it may have been to this group, but the message was the same. It was the ministry of the gospel. And so that is the thing that, that ties these two together. This word here, they were both in the ministry of the gospel. They may have been to different people as God directed, but they were in the same ministry of sharing the gospel 
apostles to different groups sharing and spreading the gospel. And then he says this in verse 8. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And so Peter, or, or Paul rather, he points this out, that really the ministry of Peter's was supported by the same God that supported Paul's. That really Peter couldn't go through ministry without God's help. And P, uh, Paul couldn't go through the ministry without God's help. They were backed by the same individual, and that is God. The same God called them. The same God empowered them in ministry. And so really, as we think about the gospel, the gospel should create unity in ministry because it's the same God that is empowering us as Christians to serve him. And I know we all have different opinions about this. And, and I know we all come from different backgrounds. And, and maybe you would say, well, you know, I like this music. And someone else might say, well, I like this music. And would, maybe there's somebody that says, well, I think this music is acceptable to Christians. And there's someone else that would say, I think all of this music is acceptable to Christians. And you know what? That should not be something that separates us. Because that's not the big thing here. The big thing is that people need the gospel. That people need to come to the cross. And so really, as we think about the ministry and the gospel, really, first of all, the gospel creates unity in grace. And second of all, the gospel creates unity in ministry because that should be the central part of any ministry. It was the central part of Paul's ministry. It was the central part of Peter's ministry. It united them as fellow people in ministry, fellow servants of the Lord. Then we see a third thing. We see a third way that the gospel creates unity, and that's unity in fellowship. Unity in fellowship. And so notice again here in verse 9 as we continue uh, this passage. And then James, and again, this is uh, not um, the apostle James. Uh, this is uh, Jesus' brother. Jesus' brother was not a Christian at the very beginning, though he saw Jesus Christ um, uh, live a life in front of them. Instead, we actually find an account in Acts that uh, James ends up getting saved later on after the resurrection. And so he sees uh, Jesus Christ come back to life, and um, so he believes. And so uh, this is James, the brother of Jesus. And then we have uh, Cephas. Now, this is Peter. Paul uses the Aramaic equivalent of Peter, but the same idea is true. It means rock. And so we have James here. Uh, James is the brother. He was one of the pillars of the church. He was one of the uh, leaders in the Jerusalem church and, and really in the, um, in the Christian church. And so what he said was very important. As a matter of fact, we have a letter from him in our Bible. It's entitled James. That's the James that we see here. Then we also have Peter. We have um, um, a letter from Peter in the Bible as well. He was also very important in the Bible. Matter of fact, it was Jesus Christ who changed his name and, and called him Peter, which means rock, and gave him some authority in the church. He was another pillar of the church. And so what Peter did was, was, uh, was through God's power, and, and, and he accomplished a lot through God's power. Power. So we have James, we have Cephas, and then we have John. And as we talked about, John is that beloved disciple, all right? So he was one of the 12. Uh, so was Peter. Peter was one of the 12. And uh, both of them were also apostles. 
All right. And so uh, John, we have the Gospel of John, and we have uh, First John and Second John and Third John and uh, Revelations as well. I don't know if I'm forgetting one, but uh, we have several uh, books in the Bible uh, from John as well. He's one of the beloved disciples. He was another pillar in the church. And so as Paul comes before these three pillars, James, Peter, and John, he talks to them about the gospel. He brings Titus with him. He brings Barnabas with them. And so notice, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. So they looked over Paul. They asked him some questions. They heard the gospel that he preached. They heard about the stories that was happening on Paul's life. And they perceived the grace that was given to me. And they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All right, and so they, they, they have a meeting together, and they, they look at each other, and, and they talk together, and there's fellowship. And so they, they say, hey, you know what, Brother Paul, it is so great that you are apostle to the Gentiles. And, you know, keep being apostle to the Gentiles. And, and we're going to continue in our ministry to, to be the gospel light to the Jews. And they were partners in ministry. And so we see something really great here. Matter of fact, this still in a way happens today. Um, pastors oftentimes uh, go through a time of ordination. So what is an ordination? You probably have heard about that. Matter of fact, sometimes uh, in sitcoms, they, they make jokes about uh, being ordained. And they go, oh, yeah, I went online and I got ordained at the, the Internet church of so-and-so. And so I'm an ordained pastor that's not really how ordination should work. You fill out a form and bam, you're ordained. That's not how it should work. Instead, really, ordination is actually where you have a panel of pastors. For me, I had six or seven pastors, all from Northern California, and uh, they sat at several tables, and I was in the hot seat, and, and they looked at my life, and they asked lots of prying questions about my, my life and, and my um, I don't know, my, my standards as a Christian and as, as a man. And, and then that second part was all about where I stood as far as the Bible was concerned. And so I put together a doctrinal statement. They looked over it. Then they asked me lots of questions and some questions that didn't even pertain to some of the things that I had in my doctrinal statement. They were testing me. Why? Because they wanted to know whether or not I really knew what I was talking about. And so I had all of these pastors look at my life and, and look at my stand. And, and as those guys met, they decided to ordain me. So this is my certificate of ordination. And so let me read for you uh, what is on here. It says, we, the undersigned, upon the recommendation or request of Grace Baptist Church, in Sonora, California, which had full and sufficient opportunity for judging the God-given gifts, Christian experience, call to the ministry, and views of Bible doctrine, hereby certify that John Michael Schmidt was solemnly and publicly set apart and ordained to the work of the gospel ministry by authority and, uh, and order of Grace Baptist Church, and then it gives the place and the time. So we still do this today as pastors, where there is a time where other pastors get together 
and, and they, they, they get to know you and, and, and where you stand on different things. And then they receive you into the gospel ministry and they shake hands with you and they say, brother, we are so glad that you are part of the gospel ministry. Now, Paul is not going through an ordination. That's what we do today. So we don't see an ordination here, but we do see a receiving into fellowship, a time in which there was some questions asked, a time in which they heard some stories, a time in which they received him into fellowship and really recognized him as an apostle to the Gentiles. And so this is a very special time because the the gospel doesn't only bring us to unity and grace because it all brings us to the to the foot of the cross it doesn't only bring us to unity in the ministry because all of our ministry is backed by the same god it also gives us unity and fellowship because we all have the same purpose to bring god glory and so we see and and uh, the apostles uh, uh, james uh, peter james and john they say this only so there's one thing that they did stress all right. So Paul brings this up that they did not stress the law and they, they did not stress taking on the sign of circumcision. But there was one thing that they did tell us. And this is the one thing. Only they asked us to remember the poor, to remember the poor. And in this statement actually reminds us of unity within a ministry. And why do I say that? Because both Jews and Gentiles were poor. Notice, they did not say, and remember the Gentiles who are poor. They didn't say that. They also did not say, and remember the Jews who are poor. Instead, they said, remember all the poor, both Jews and Gentiles, both James, Peter, and John, Saul, Paul, and Barnabas, and Titus. We're all in this together. And so remember the poor, both the Jews and the Gentiles. And this actually brings us to one of the reasons why the Lord brought Paul and Bartimaeus and Titus to Jerusalem. And so we find this account in Acts chapter 11. All right, so Acts chapter, we're just going to look at a couple of verses here. You don't need to turn there unless you want to. But uh, here in Acts chapter 11, we find out why Paul uh, the Lord brought Paul and uh, Barnabas to uh, Jerusalem in the first place. So notice in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. All right, this is where Paul and Barnabas and Titus were serving at that time. They were in Antioch serving. And one of them named um, Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This pl- took place in the day of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Now, what are they talking about? They're sending relief to the Jews in Jerusalem. And notice what happens next in this account. And they, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of, notice, Barnabas and Saul. So here we have... There is, there is some, some real heartache happening, and they begin to collect some money, and it is Barnabas and Saul, Paul, who end up going and bringing this relief. 
And that's one of the reasons why in that very second part of verse 10, notice only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Paul already had this on his mind. He was already saw himself as in ministry, not just for the Jews, but also, I mean, not only for the Gentiles, but also for the Jews. Matter of fact, he was taking up offerings amongst the Gentiles to bring to the Jews. And so I, 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 I point out verse 10 because what James and Peter and John point to is that the gospel should create unity, that really we should be here to support one another in difficult times. And so they say, you know what, that circumcision, that's not a big deal. But remember this one thing, we're in the ministry together. Remember the poor, Jew or Gentile. Remember to take care of those people in need. And so really as we think about the gospel, the gospel brings us together because it brings us to the foot of the cross. We are all saved by grace. It brings us together in ministry because the same God is, is the power behind all Christian ministry. And that third thing is it brings us into fellowship because we're all working for the same goal to bring God glory. And so Paul brings this up and really kind of brings us to the forefront of our minds in, in verse 6. And so notice here in verse 6, and for those who seem to be influential, and again, he's talking about uh, Peter, James, and John, those pillars he, he talked to them, uh, 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 said, and then he says this, what they were makes no difference to me. And then he said, God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. And so Paul got together with these guys, and, and he was hoping that there would be some way in which they could come together and, and really propel the church in, in such a unified way. But there was really nothing that they kind of determined that would be a, a good way. And so they said, we'll continue to do this, and you'll continue to do that. But right in there, he puts this thought in there. God shows no partiality. And why would Paul say that? Because Paul is identifying this, that really the gospel is made available to all mankind. God does not have more mercy on Gentiles than he does on Jews. He has the same amount of mercy because we are all sinners and we all need a savior. It doesn't matter our race. It does not matter our age. It does not matter our um, gender. It doesn't matter our a political affiliation. All right. It doesn't matter our music preference. We all need God's mercy. We all need God's mercy. So God shows no partiality. And as he thinks about these influential men, these these Jews, these pillars, and he says, you know what? It doesn't really make any difference to me because God shows his grace to whom he will show it to. God shows mercy to whom he will show it to. And so really, as Paul states here, that really there is fellowship in the ministry because before God, we are all on the same plane. Now, I don't want to uh, discourage the idea of leadership. Leadership is an important part of any ministry because we know that a, a ministry can fall, rise or fall with good leaders. All right. So I don't want to distinguish 
or to put down leadership in the church. But Paul is saying that we all play parts in the church and that we're all important in the church. And God may have given a job to Peter and James and John, and he may have given a job to me, but that doesn't mean that you're not important because really everyone is important in the body. Matter of fact, Paul brings that up and says, hey, you know what? We all can't be eyes and we all can't be mouths and we all can't be hands and we can't all be feet. All right, we all need to do our part, and that actually what brings us together and unifies us. All right, the very last thing that I want to bring up this morning is the gospel really unites us in trials. First thing that we need to consider is, first of all, physical trials, physical trials. This could be financial, it could be a relationship, it could be health, it could be just our daily needs. And uh, Peter, John, uh, Peter, James, and John reminds him to remember the poor. That is their physical needs. Remember their physical needs. And, and they were saying, you know what? The spiritual needs are important. They're very important. But don't forget the physical needs that people have. And, and really, as we think about unity in the gospel, there are times in our life where we're going to go through struggles. And isn't it good to know that we have a brother and sister in Christ that is there for us? Matter of fact, here at Wilton Bible Church, we have money set aside that if there are people that are struggling within our church, we can help them out. Or people within our community, we can help them out. And since I've been a pastor here, we have helped out a number of people who have gone through uh, trials and struggles. And so as a church... As, as, uh, as a church and as a body of believers, we are not on our own. You say, well, Pastor, um, the reason why I don't um, bring my, my problems to you is because I just don't think that there's any way that Wilton Bible Church can help me with my problems. Unless you're a miracle worker. And I'm not a miracle worker. God is, but I'm not. But you know what? One thing that we can do, even if we can't help you with your current problem, we can pray for you. And we could ask that God, the miracle worker, would work in your life. That he would give you the grace to go through that physical trial. To go through that time of, of need. So know that you don't have to go through trials alone. Because the gospel really brings us together. And that's what the apostles told Paul and Barnabas. Remember those who are in trials. But then we also remember spiritual trials. Matter of fact, the gospel brought spiritual trials. Notice there in verse 4. Yet because of false brothers, and it's so interesting to me that he records this, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in. All right, there was someone there amongst that leadership that, that brought some people in that were not friendly to the gospel. And they wanted to distort the gospel. They wanted to put them under Judaism. And so who slipped in and noticed what they were there to do. They were there to spy things out. To spy our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery. And Paul uses this very strong word that they wanted to bring them into slavery. And as you think about Israel, remember, they were in slavery in Egypt. And they were freed from slavery. They didn't want to go back to slavery. 
Matter of fact, oftentimes when they would walk away from God, God would allow them to go back into slavery, and they would cry out to the Lord, Lord, have mercy, and God would have mercy on them and bring them out of that. And so Paul uses this very strong word, and why? Because he's telling them, if we begin to, to follow these patterns, we're again going to be slaves to the law. We don't need to do that because we are under grace. Jesus Christ lived under the law in our place so that we would not have to live under the law. And so there's an amount of grace that is there. So they came in to spy things out. And we think about these, these people that came in just to, just to cause problems. And sometimes within churches, people do do that. Sadly, sometimes in Bible-believing churches, gospel-preaching churches just like ours, uh, someone will come in the church and they will begin to, to sow lots of seeds of deceit and, and lots of seeds of false doctrine. And, and before long, uh, the church is really struggling. And, and people do that on purpose. They did it in Paul's time, and they still do it today. But the difference is, today, it's not even within churches. Sometimes we hear these things online and on podcasts and uh, on the TV, and, and we read these things in books. And, and so it's not only within the church that sometimes we're getting bad information that has a tendency to cause uh, distractions amongst the body of believers, but sometimes we bring them into our own lives uh, through the teaching of people who do, do not believe the gospel. And so Paul sees these struggles. And, and, you know, sometimes in life we do have our own personal struggles. And you can know that as a church, we all have our own little struggles. I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. But, you know, we can work together for the glory of God. And so if you're going through some type of struggle today, uh, know that you don't have to be by yourself. You don't have to go through this, this trial by yourself because look around. We have a body of believers here. We have other Christians that want to encourage you and support you. And that's exactly what Paul wanted to do. Matter of fact, that's why Paul says this in the very next verse. And so notice what he says next. He says this, To them, that is those people that wanted to put him back under the law, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved to you. And in his words here, he's saying, we did not submit, and we want to tell you, you don't have to submit either. Let us be an encouragement. Let us lead you as a shepherd. We did not submit, and you do not have to submit either. So as these false teachers came in, Paul said, follow our example. We did not and you do not have to either. And I almost think to myself, what if, based upon what Paul says here, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you? What if Paul would have submitted to man's gospel? What if Paul would have started preaching? Yeah, that is, that is, that's a good idea. I mean, really, what could it hurt? I mean, yeah, put your faith in Jesus Christ and, and then do this ritual and that ritual and obey this and obey that and obey that. What would Christianity look like if Paul did not preserve the gospel? You know what we would be? We'd be an offshoot of Judaism. We'd be doing a lot of things that are underneath the um, Abrahamic covenant. We'd be trying to live to a standard 
that we could never achieve because the law was not given as a way to get to heaven. It was given to show us that we are broken people, that we are sinners. And so as we consider this morning, that we too are kind of in this same boat. It was preserved for us that the gospel might continue on. And every generation and every church and every church leadership is doing the same thing. Their desire is to preserve the truth of the gospel that it might not be changed for future generations. And that was Paul. And Paul is really communicating to uh, the Galatians there, don't change the gospel. Preserve it for the coming generations. So let's review as we close today. Paul leaves Antioch uh, to really help the poor in Jerusalem. He's bringing an offering. He's collecting an offering from the Gentiles to the Jews because he sees it as we are all in the ministry together. The gospel brings us together. During this trip, God sets up a meeting. All right, This is a God-ordained thing with Peter, James, and John. During that meeting, we see that there's fellowship and there's partner in ministry. And the apostles, Peter, James, and John, they say, hey, we see God's grace in your life and continue to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And we're going to continue to preach the gospel to the circumcised, to the Jews. And so they partner in ministry. Though they have different mission fields, the gospel brings them together because that is the message to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And so the big reason that these guys, though they have different backgrounds, because they have different ministries, the thing that brings us together, brings them together, is the gospel. Unity in grace. Unity in the ministry. Unity in fellowship. And unity in trials that we're all in this together. Matter of fact, One saying that that I heard over and over and over again, and so it's not going to be a surprise to you. During the pandemic, what did we always hear? We are in this together. We heard this I don't know how many times during the pandemic. But you know, that is a truth for us as Christians. Because truly, we are in this together. Really, the gospel brings us together as the body of Christ, and we work together to serve him. And so I believe that is Paul's point as he begins chapter 2. Again, chapter 1 was all about laying down the foundation of why the gospel is true and important. And then in chapter 2, he begins to apply the gospel. And since the gospel is true, that brings us together both Jews and Gentiles, both men and women, both East Coast people and West Coast people together to serve the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you for the ministry of reconciliation. Thank you for the gospel touching our lives. We, we think about the fact that Paul was preaching the gospel in Antioch. He was preaching the gospel during his first missionary journey and second missionary a journey, and and everywhere he went, he was communicating the fact that that Jesus Christ did, in fact, come and live, and he did, in fact, die, and he was buried, and that he rose again, just as the Scripture stated. And today, we preach the same gospel, that it has not been perverted, but it's been preserved. 
that we are not some some offshoot or or I don't know some part of Judaism, but we are freed from the requirements of the law, the obligation of the law, because Christ lived under the law in our place, and by faith. We believe that he, in fact, did die in our place when he was buried and that he rose again. Thank you, Lord, that the gospel unites us. Lord, we pray, and I know that it's a, sometimes it's a temptation for us as Christians to focus on our differences instead of focusing on the gospel. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to have wisdom in that situation, in those situations. Help us not to, I don't know, be separated over opinions, but help us to be unified over the truth of the gospel and the doctrines of your word. And so, Lord, help us to be unified as a church, as leadership, as families, and as Christians. In Jesus' name, amen.